Hey everyone, it's Eric. Welcome to the latest Trek About special. I did a couple of these last year and then it sort of fell off my radar. If you didn't listen to them, I did one with the Improvised Star Trek podcast, which is a comedy podcast out of Chicago. It's very good. And if you're not acquainted with that podcast, you should go back and check that episode out. And the second one I did was with Jera Hodge, who ran a Trekkie Feminist and is now actually uh, one of the co-hosts of Women at Warp. So she's moved up in the world a little bit. Today, uh, I'm very excited to have Larry Nemechek on the show. For those of you who are new to Star Trek or perhaps have not been as versed in the fandom for as many years as I have, Larry Nemechek is a big name in the Star Trek fandom. He originally came to prominence for his Star Trek The Next Generation Companion, which you will find a little factoid about in this episode of the show. And he was very kind to come on the show to talk about his latest project, Portal 47, as well as a couple of other things that he's in the works. And some pretty in-depth discussion about the past, present, and future of Star Trek. So if getting into the weeds with Star Trek is something that you're interested in, and if you're not, I'm not sure why you would be listening to Trek about, uh, please do give this podcast a listen. I think you're really going to get something out of it. And as a final note before we start the show, I just want to let everyone know that uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. Our website, where you can find all of our back episodes, including those two special episodes from last year I mentioned, can be found at trekaboutshow.com. And if you like what you hear today and you've checked out a few more episodes and you like those as well, uh, Richard and I, my co-host who is not here, would very much appreciate a positive iTunes review for the show. Now sit back and listen to my conversation with Larry Nemechek. I am here with Larry Nemechek. Hey, Larry, how are you today? Hey, Eric. It's great to be great to be on. Good. So uh, just for listeners, we, we did some of these uh, special episodes last year and it sort of fell off my radar with some personal things that were going on. Uh, but now that things have calmed down a little bit, I want to try them out again and who better to start them with but but Mr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. So uh, thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on Trek About today. I know that I have some things that I want to talk about, but I know that you uh, have a lot going on, as you always do. Uh, so, you know, you have uh, the Enterprise in Space, you have Portal 47, you have uh, who knows what else going on. So so why don't you uh, pick one of those and, and, and tell, tell the listeners about uh, some of the projects you have going on right now? Yeah. Well, first off, I, I'll just say calm is good. So congratulations on that. Cause I, I know what not calm is like too myself. So I, in, in an effort not to break your calm, um, but thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, the, well, yeah, I've usually gotten a lot of things going on just because the world the last 10 years is kind of in, induces that. So enterprise in space you mentioned is the nonprofit that I, that I'm spokesman and outreach person for which is going to put 100 or more student experiments, K through grad school, into orbit on a custom-designed orbiter named Enterprise to be the first enterprise in space and backed by corporate grants and crowdfunding to the point of the simplicity of $20 from 2 million people who get their name on a chip and a certificate, and that chip rides on the craft, and hey, now you are the virtual crew of the first real enterprise in space. But there, there's a whole lot more to it. It's really a, a fabulous project. It's a nonprofit, uh, and that's enterpriseinspace.org. And yeah, a whole lot of bunch of stuff I'm I'm doing. But the Portal 47 is the thing I'm ex I'm really excited about, and I'm just on the cusp of. I've just I guess as as the time this airs, I've just launched it. So um, that is basically all the years of I think you you may have mentioned. Books and magazine editing and interviews and me doing interviews and being interviewed <laughs> and and uh, and then my CD series, my Trekline on speaker, where we get the archival long interviews out and, and clean them up and put them out. And I just had the new one come out uh, for the 20th anniversary of Voyager, the fourth one. It's on my site, but um, that all sometimes seems like slow motion. It all seems like uh, you know very 20th century ways to go. I think so. I. I've been trying to figure out what I could uniquely give and share and, and um, to use the buzzword, facilitate, you know, with, uh, with third parties for fandom. And that's what Portal 47 is. And I don't know, do you know the, the saga of 47 in Star Trek? 
I know, I know some of it. Yes, of course. But uh, why, you, you should you should fill the listeners in because, of course, you know we have some some newbies to track as well who who may not know. So, well, it's it's one of those fun little goofy things to know. And once you once it's kind of like buying a new car or a new computer. Once you get one, you, you see it everywhere, or a new baby or whatever. But uh, but um, forty seven, you should know, is the most common random number in the universe. According to uh, a joke that started at Pomona College here in the greater L.A. area and then grew on campus uh, and then to the students that took it elsewhere, including one Joe Minoski, who brought it to the next generation and then it infected all of Star Trek. So, yeah, if you look up 47 in Star Trek, Memory Alpha or any of the things, uh, you'll see or you can look up the 47 saga at the Pomona College website. But um now it's hard to find uh, even even the JJ verse. Even Orsi and Kurtzman were putting forty sevens into some graphics and or, or the scripts, and the graphics people brought it on. It's just kind of an inside joke. So when I was naming this, the la- I did not want an on the you know as a, as a veteran of the old Star Trek official fan club, you know when we edited Communicator and everything that's always been branded Star Trek and everything. And part of what I wanted to make sure this was was not anything on the nose. It's something kind of quasi. Um, you know, it was like cool from just being not obvious because Portal 47 isn't for everybody, but it's, I, I just call it a boutique deep dive for Trek fans from my archive and my, um, my archives, my memory and my Rolodex basically. So, so, so what kinds of uh, information or tidbits or, 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 or sort of stuff like that um, can, can fans get in, in Portal 47? Well, it's, it's, it's a common, I'm, I'm launching it, so this is kind of a shakedown cruise, but I'm launching it where it's me getting my archives, my, my visuals, and my um, audio out. Uh, it'll be a jump start on the video that I'm going to start ramping up again at my, at my Trekland blog site. But one of the key cornerstones is a roundtable both with me and with guests who have worked on the shows. I'm going to say the shows at first. We may get off beat like into licensed products too. But people who may not necessarily, um, you know, even be on a program at a convention somewhere, but who have wonderful stories to tell and just a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of grit to share. And anyway, it's it's it's. In one hand, if I start talking about and just start listing all these things because it's a package and it is a subscription model, but I just take calling it a club or anything. It's just it's just kind of a, a new experience that I've been looking for, kind of multimedia everything and it's i've got a facebook page uh, that's called portal 47 and then also a page at my website by the time this is up it'll be there portal 47.net or you can just go to larrynimichek.com and find it um and uh i i have a trial period offer a three month and then also just basically a year subscription and just adding i just had an introductory phone call that my newsletter got the word on so for everybody listening in tonight, just go and, and look up the information and um, get in touch with me. And if you want to ask me personally, you know, email me or we'll even work out a, a phone call if people want to do that. Because it's not – I'm not trying to do a massive, you know, like hundreds of thousands and millions of people. Um, it's going to be kind of a kind of a small group one-to-one experience. And um, I, I'm saying it's kind of like a, a mini-con of information to everybody all year long. And, it, you know, there's pieces that will feel like podcast interviews and there will be pieces that feel like other things, but it's going to transcend that. And the other thing that's going to happen down the line in a few months is uh, I'm going to try to have like an elite version eventually. So, you know, or maybe a, a little bit higher thing and, and maybe have a little bit higher. Um, when I say name guests, it's not that I'm trying to distinguish the quality because part of what this is about is – you know, I'm, I'll go on shows, or people will hear me talk, and they'll say, "God, I always, li- I always learn something new when I hear you." Or I, I you know, are you when you're on our show, your our podcast has always got the highest numbers. And I've never done my own, although we're going to do a podcast for Enterprise and Space. But um, I just, I just always wanted to be something special. If I did that, and there's so many good, you know, shows like Trek About and all the rest of them that are out here. Um, I just never went that way, but I've wanted to do something like that and be somewhere between the source myself and also be, you know, the host producer that brings other people into the spotlight. And as I've always done, you know, interviewing people and 
and trying to get people to go to cons as guests and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's so many different you know avenues that I could take that, but I think that the thing that kind of is is most exciting about something like Portal Forty Seven is that you know Star Trek has this this almost fifty year history. You know, next year is the going to be the fiftieth anniversary of the first broadcast. You know, it's obviously been around. Um, I think since what 1964 in I've one form or another for two years already. Yeah, <laughs> I've been saying for a while. Yeah, yeah we're, you're 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 really uh, uh, the old school, and I, I kind of go with that as well. But you know, at, at whatever whatever you know milestone you you consider um, the beginning of Trek, you know, it's been around for a very long time, and you know, as sort of the 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 pop culture and media landscape gets more and more and more fragmented, you know, it's it's very possible that these sort of long standing, you know, with, with this intense lifespan, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, properties are, are just going to really, um, you know, maybe not be as, as big as, as something like Star Trek. And so, you know, you've been involved in Star Trek fandom and you've been involved in Star Trek, uh, on, on the, the production side as well. I mean, you sort of, um, the Genesis, uh, you, you wrote a script, I believe for Star Trek Voyager, which was adapted into an episode in the seventh season. And, you know, you've appeared in, in a Star Trek enterprise and you've go to cons all the time. You know, you, you have a longstanding relationship with, with Star Trek on, on both sides of the coin. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, curious to ask you, and I think the the listeners would be as well to kind of hear, you know, portal 47 is something that, I don't think a lot of other people c- could could do, you know, because you you do have this sort of longstanding so relationship with Star Trek. That's that's exactly. I mean, I've been trying. I've been grappling with this, not to make it sound painful, <laughs> but I have been trying to figure out for several years. And part of what's cool right now is that five, ten years ago, I couldn't do this. I mean, we have teleconferencing software, and we have web conferencing software, and we can do it easily, just like everybody doing fan films on their laptop. You know, it used to be the biggest way you could express your itch for Star Trek was you would type, you know, write fanzine, fan fiction, and type it out on Mimeo and Mimeographic. And that was kind of the height of, you know, that scratched a lot of itch and and fulfilled a lot of passion. When it's like, how dare you stop, uh, you know, how dare you stop filling me my my drug of choice here, you know, in the 70s. And then as we've gone along, you know, we've, you know, now people, you know, costuming and prop making and do CG at, at home and and uh, what you know, whatever stop motion Lego, <laughs> you yeah. know, less all the way through with originally scripted, you know, parody up to up to uh, full blown things like uh, Star Trek Continues and and Axanar in Phase Two, and then people you know like yourself express your passion, you know that itch, and and satisfy other people at the same time because that's what half the time it is you're doing your own, but you're also connecting with everybody else who feels the same way. And yeah, it's 50 years and that hasn't died. It's just, you know, technology and pop culture has just, you know, we've come out of the closet with it now. We're in the Big Bang Theory era and it's the number one show on and we're not running around being made fun of mostly by local news anymore. It's it's out there and chambers of commerce are going, hmm, these conventions are making a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, you know, just the whole, everything has changed. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's and Star Trek wrote the you know before Star Trek fandom meant you were a fan of a sports team or like a singer or a rock band or a movie star, but the fact that you were like a, a fan of an entertainment entity property, maybe you were um, a Tarzan fan or a, you know or a Davy Crockett or a yeah a Davy Crockett fan in the fifties for Disney or something, but but not really something that you know lasted more than two or three or four years like this. So Star Trek like, wrote the book on pop culture on so many levels and when before there were it was computers and internet and social media people did things on paper you know and did it by snail mail it's like the demand was there they just invented the way to get to it and so anyway so that's kind of why i'm excited about there's a whole list of features and some things are going to be live i'm going to have live events where that makes sense i'm going to offer a you know i work with geek nation tours on our big la to vegas uh tour and we'll have another we do that every two years and we'll have one um next year but um, just for people like come to L.A., because I'm very mindful how this is – we're breaking geographical bounds, right? The internet lets us do that and be online globally. Uh, it's just a matter of time zones. <laughs> if we can have the Aussies and the Germans and the Brits involved or if we have enough of them where I can have their own time zone that winds up being midday here, then we'll go there. We'll do that. But for if you are locally, you're, you're in L.A. or you come to L.A., 
I'm going to offer, um, set up my own, uh, just like one day tour and have it be kind of a, again, a boutique kind of situation and have a menu of options. We'll just do a one day tour, you know, in a van or a large car and get around. And if you're, and I'm going to offer that. And then if you're in portal 47 at some level, you'll have a, you know, a big discount on that. Or, or if it's a, when I get to my high rollers, that'll just be included in the price. So I, there's just, I mean, and, and it's the beginning. This is, this is the sh- literally, I hate to say shakedown cruise because I, now I suddenly feel like I'm shaking down people. And that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the mate voyage. And I want it to evolve from here. And part of that'll be how, you know, we're doing this podcast right now. We couldn't, this didn't exist 10 years ago, really. Or if you did, it was a much more complex situation. So, so I, I'm really excited to be able to finally put this together, get my arms around it and say, here world. And, and again, it's not for everybody. I don't think this experience is what everybody wants because I learned a long time ago when I was naive and young and first into fandom and conventions and clubs and all that, I just kind of assumed everybody thought the same way I did and had favorites the same way I did. And that didn't happen, which was all cool. But I just realized that, you know, we all have our little our little interests and niches, even within the big thing. So. Yeah, well, that's that's something that I'm actually really interested in because you know it, you you look at the 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 sort of um, development of fandom and Star Trek fandom specifically, you know, because this is a Star Trek uh, podcast. But you know, I, I you know go back and I think, okay, well, I really got into Star Trek, you know, in the in the early to mid '90s when I was a teenager, you know, and you um, started watching it, with, you know, the Next Generation with my father, you know, things like that. And you know, you obviously got into Star Trek, you know, through the original series, but you've been involved, you know, in fandom, you know, like you said. For many, many, many years. I mean, going on decades now. Not to make you, um, you know, seem elderly or something, but (laughs) but but I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, your your opinion or your perspective on, you know, what what that was like, you know, back in the in the uh, 70s and 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 that kind of thing. You know, what what was fandom like and what were conventions like back then? Because I think that that people know what they're like now. I mean, people think now if they think of a, of a, of a con, they think of Comic-Con, which is this giant 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 thing that happens and or they think of um something like uh, Penny Arcade Expo, which is just, you know, gigantic. But, you know, they weren't they weren't necessarily like that uh, uh 35 years ago or 40 years ago, right? Well, right, and and I said that about Star Trek inventing the, the template. I was talking about uh, genre, like franchise media. We used to say media con all the time. But yeah, the Comic Con and the comic book fandom <laughs> for a while there, about 15 years, 10, 15 years ago, was griping mightily about this because Comic Cons are not at all just about comic books and comic characters. You know, Hollywood invaded. But even before the, you know, San Diego was kind of the granddaddy, and now it's when they started bumping their head against the ceiling. It's like it spread all over, you know, Seattle and Phoenix and New York and now Salt Lake and all the major cities are now, you know, going there. But I mean, fan conventions as a science fiction-y genre thing, I mean, really started with the World Cons in the 30s, you know, and the first Hugos. And that was like, you know, 40, 50 people from the whole country <laughs> would right. get together somewhere because it was, uh, I mean, you were real. It wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't even like you were a nerdy outcast. It was like you were so far off the radar, nobody even cared. It was like, you know, the ants that came and took the crumbs away, not even the rats, you know. Um, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all. I'm just talking about so far off the radar. And But, you know, the sci-fi litcon model had been around from the 30s through the 60s and 70s. And what I'm saying is Star Trek, you know, with the very first Star Trek con that kind of broke through, was it 73, the New York, the original New York cons. Um, that, that like Joni Winston writes about in her book. But those are the ones that first gave us the word Trekkie and, and, and laid the groundwork that, you know, this is not a bunch of kooks. Uh, well, it was, but not kidding. It, was, it wasn't just a bunch of kooky kids who were worshiping a dead show. You know, if you put on the, the language of Hollywood and professional television and movies, um, you know, it was like the little show that wouldn't die. And the whole purpose of Star Trek fandom in the beginning was to make that damn show come back some way or another. How dare you take it away from us? And the animateds were one step toward that. And then and then it led into, oh, then Star Wars comes along and you have this weird Star Wars, Star Trek dynamic where one kicks the other one kind of into gear, um, you know, back and forth over the years. And and by the way, I think the whole Star Wars, Star Trek thing is just a media goof. I mean, maybe there was a little bit of that in the 70s, <laughs> I've always thought it was like um, 
I saw this demonstrated somewhere really well, but we were laughing about it. There's, it's like, it's not like a mutual thing. It's kind of like the big brother, little brother, where the little brother is always like poking the big brother in the backseat of the car and the big brother's like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, it's like, it's, it's not like the two brothers are fighting. It's like the little brother is always like, "Eh, eh, eh." and it's, and there's plenty, I mean, tons of thousands of people are huge. A lot of fans, a lot of friends of mine are huge Star Wars fans. It just never was my thing. And that whole media Trek Wars thing, I always think it's, I think, you know, the, and I've been on a couple of panels, my friends, Drea and uh, Allie that had that psychology of Star Trek, Star Wars panel that they've done at some of the comic cons. And I was on the first one on the on Team Trek side, but um, they they have a mature attitude about it. But I think people, um, you know, come in looking for that. But the joke is, it's always the Star Wars people that are spoiling for a fight, and the Trek people kind of go, "I'm sorry, we I'm sorry, we have 737 hours, <laughs> so we're not really." You know, to me, it's like it's math. Maybe not. Okay, so it's so it's quality. So we have about a fourth of that are clinkers. Okay, well now we have uh, 600 hours versus, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, I was always the same way. I mean, Star Wars was never really my thing. I was I was into it somewhat, you know, when I was a teenager, but I kind of got out of it. But uh, you know, it, it was it's kind of it always struck me as a kind of thing where you know, if Star Trek was up, Star Wars was down, and if Star Wars was up, Star Trek was down, and you know, so so it just kind of you, you kind of almost a lot of people became fans of both just because you know when when Star Trek was at its peak in the in the in the nineties, there wasn't really any star star wars to speak of i mean not until you know what was it 99 with the phantom menace so and you know we can't really talk about that because who wants to but uh, yeah and, and and in a sidebar way it's kind of been the same way with doctor who that's very like true on tv trek was at its height when when who was out in the wilderness and then they kind of flipped you know not not a, not any great master evil plan but just kind of what it happened but back to your your point about the cons and things um you know, the original Star Trek cons were like a lit con model where you had the guests, but then you still had costume content. I mean, all those elements were there in various stages, and people would try to have like crazy, you know, like cute little events and things like, oh, you know, anything from like model contests, model building contests on the side. And you'd have game rooms, and you'd have, you know, filking and all that kind of stuff, but they were still basically a hotel-based place where you would have 100, 200, 500, 1,000 you know, oh, the really big ones would be five and 10,000 people. And, you know, when we say Comic-Con today, we're talking about a multi. It's not about comic books. It's when Hollywood got involved. So you took things to a Hollywood level, at least like San Diego. And now that kind of feeling has spread around. But they were as much a marketing tool and a marketing, uh, like a living, you know, focus group almost for some of the studios and promotional advertising things. And, you know, people whipping up frenzy and live appearances and all that. But all the little aspects of the convention are still there. They just got industrialized and trade showized, if I can say that, with the Comic-Con format. But they're still multi-genre. They're still anime and gaming and sci-fi media and, you know, comics are still there and books and everything, you know, hangers on. And that's kind of what the me- – it's like melding all the things. But there's also still single theme cons going along that still keep that – it's harder sometimes, especially if you're in a city where there's a huge – like the little – convention i was just at in salt lake uh conduit you know you can always tell an old con too because i always kept with the con joke you know or the con usage in the name you know like conjunction concoction conduit you know whatever or something or something fest or whatever but and if you see they have an artist guest of honor and an an author guest of honor and a media guest of honor you know it's going to be the old school sci-fi lit um, format but anyway so star trek expanded that and instead of having 200, 300, 500 member things in the major cities, those became 1,000, 2,005, you know, by a factor of 10 or something. And creation, and you had the chain cons get in, creation back in, you know, all still. And and DreamWorks, not the studio, but the old DreamWorks chain and, and some of the Volcon conventions. And when, um, um, what's his name out of Kansas City that fell apart finally? But Slanted Fedora, Dave Scott, his, his chain cons. And they would go into different cities and pull guests in that otherwise people wouldn't get to see because there was nobody locally that had that kind of that kind of thing. So, you know, the, the Comic-Cons are what's finally kind of pushed it over. You can't ignore 150,000 people in San Diego, and you can't ignore these movies that are having huge, you know, people debate about how long can the comic book movies endure or whatever. And at some point, they'll go down just like Westerns did on TV and just like maybe the procedurals on TV are running their course or whatever. But, 
you know, things come and go, but um, it got it on screen and for, and for better, or for worse, and mostly for the better, it's mainstreamed, you know, genre fandom, which is always the description. Now we just say geek and, and nerd culture, you know, and just jump to it. You never would have said that 20 years ago. You would have been, you know, killed before you ever got out of the starting gate trying to talk to a reporter or, or somebody, you know, mainstream or mundane. But I mean, yeah. but that's how things have changed. And, and it's, we talk about it just from the microcosm, the lens of Star Trek. You know, Vegas Trek is still the biggest convention in the country, but it's still, you know, the old Grand Slams in Pasadena and now Vegas Trek that creation does. That's still just, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15,000 people at the most, you know, uh, unique bodies. It's nothing like the huge Comic Cons, but it's, it's, that, it's the biggest single taste of Trek that you can go dive and, you know, drown in. And I also think that 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 you know Vegas Con for for Star Trek is is I mean I don't know but I would assume that it's probably one of the largest you know single media property cons that's kind of out there you know oh, what yeah. I mean I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how big uh, Celebration is now for, I haven't been up on their numbers and it's probably that it's probably bigger just because Star it's just weird it's like Star Trek runs deeper but Star Wars runs broader if that makes any sense yeah because yeah. It's movie property. Versus Star Trek demands doesn't demand. This, now we're getting esoteric. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. No, it's like I just don't like. And I, I say this. I'm not. I never. I'm only trying to be analytic because I. I love Star Wars. I love what it's done for pop culture. I love the fact that they're a machine. Some people may you know, turn up their nose. Like like Force Friday was just last night, and that was all over the you know media covering that. Like they used to cover Apple, you know, new iPad launch or whatever is out. Um or iPhone launch, you know, people standing around the corner, you know, at all the Best Buys or whatever, only they were at Toys R Us's instead of Best Buy. But um, uh, they, they've been a model, and now Disney's gotten a hold of it, so it'll be even cranked up even more. Um, and just what the studio's done with, you know, the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe and Disney having Marvel and, you know, all of that stuff, we're on such a huge mega corporate level that half of those companies own media, so we're all going to be inundated with it. And it seems to be, you know, the geeks won. So, <laughs> you know, all the major tech companies are all the major leading, company, you know, corporations, you know, Apple and, and uh, Microsoft and, and, you know, Google and everybody. They're all led by people who are, you know, secret Trek fans probably, if, if not also Star Wars. So it, it, the geeks did win. I mean, the president is a Trekkie, so, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> These are all things. I mean, when I do my contacts, that's one of my uh, – we live – that's one of my themes the last two or three or four years that I've started. Ever since here in Burbank, <laughs> we used to have our, our – had a club meeting, not a sci-fi club, but a political club meeting that we met in the auditorium of the Burbank Senior Citizen Artist Village. Supposedly it was for like retired artists of different kinds. And they had an art show, and I was walking through, and I looked, and swear to God, there was like a modern art piece of – Various colors of green blobs, right? It was not representational at all. It was kind of modern art. But the title of it was Mr. Spock's Blood. And I thought, we live in a world <laughs> where an entry in a senior citizen's art show is a modern, you know, modern art piece called Mr. Spock's Blood. Yeah. That's the world we live in. And, and then we saw it when Leonard died, and it was not this little, you know, in-universe genre thing. It was this wide, worldwide Twitter trending, mainstream media covering, you know, observation of people all of all walks of life, you know, sharing their opening their heart up about what Leonard and Spock and Star Trek had meant to them. Well, I kind of I want to I want to you know that brings me to um, you know kind of talking about kind of where where you see Star Trek going in the future of it. But before we do that, I'm I'm kind of you know curious about one of the things that I mean. You know, you've written a lot of a lot of Star Trek books. You wrote the great, you know, Next Generation um, Companion, which I have sitting on my desk right next to me, um, with the red cover that I bought in 1995 at Borders Books. Uh, you remember, right? Where you? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I mean, you know, it was very exciting when I was. I, I can tell you where I bought my my B. Joe Concordance and my, uh, you know, Stephen Poe Making of Star Trek classic paper. I mean, yes, I totally, I totally get it. I, yeah, yeah. Where did you buy them? I mean, I have to call you on that now. Okay, so the tech manual. Oh, I bought the uh, Making of Star Trek. We were on vacation out of Estes Park at this YMCA camp of the Rockies at a, at a wildlife outdoors skills seminar thing. And I was like in eighth grade, and uh, I was going through, and I had just been watching the shows. 
and I bought Starlog number one, which was a, an all Star Trek thing before they knew they were going to be a magazine. And I bought, it was the gray cover, wasn't the original white cover from the 60s, but it was like the 70s, 80s version, the silver with the, with the modern font on it. But I bought it in the gift shop there in their paperback section. Huh. But the, best, the story I love is when the tech manual came out, and my mom was pretty supportive. And I had, I had groups of hobbies. I was a stamp collector. I was a model rocketer. I was a model railroader. I built models. I loved history. I mean, you know, I was just all over the place. And um, only back then we'd say I was just a hobbyist. We didn't say I was a Trek nerd or a train geek or anything. We wouldn't have said that. He would have just said, oh, he's on. But um, and my mom was really good about, like, supporting me in our middle-class way. And we were at the – it wasn't – B. Dalton's. B. Dalton's at Crossroads Mall in City. And I'm showing her, like, oh, here's a Christmas gift idea, Christmas gift idea. And the tech manual just come out, and I showed her. And this is way before, and I tease her about this all the time now. So I showed her, and she goes, I don't know, Larry, $5.99 for something that doesn't really exist? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I just, like, waited and kept some of my money back. And that next spring break, where we didn't do stuff, but I went down and stayed with my brother at his where you went to school, State College, where I wound up going later on. And there was a little – and now it's amazing that this ever happened in this town. But there was like a little bitty uh, mini mall with a little bitty bookstore in it, and they had like one copy of the tech manual in it. And I got myself a ride over there <laughs> and walked in because I was like you know, still in junior high or whatever uh, before driving. Walked in, plunked down my money. I, I think I even like found the receipt the other day when I was unpacking after we moved and – and scanned it and put it up on my on my Facebook page or my blog or something. Yeah. You know, the Odyssey bookstore in Ada Mini Mall. And uh, anyway, so yeah, every once in a while I tease my mom about that. It's like, well, see, what if you'd like nip this in the bud? Well, that's see, those are great stories sure, though. His favorite, you know, uh, Christmas present was it or whatever it was of all time. Yeah, that's what's weird is when people. It's very flattering, but it's. I had to get over the, the age hump finally of having people say, this was my best Christmas present ever. I love you. Know, I wore my, but that's what my B. Joe Concordance and my tech manual and my medical reference and my, you know, Steve Whitfield pose making. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I wore them out. Well, that's, I mean, that's really like, that's, I mean, the, the fact that, that both of us have these stories and, you know, that, that just buying related, you know, merchandise basically for something that, that uh, for Star Trek is, is such a, you know, it's kind of a, a fond memory for, for both of us, you know, that really shows how deep this stuff goes. And I, you know, where I'm trying to get with this is, you know, I've been um, reading the, the Mark Cushman books. These are the voyages about the original series and kind of just the, the, the so map. Of Mark. <laughs> that he, he had the time and wherewithal to sit down and handwrite those notes out in all the places. I mean, the massive amounts of research that must've gone into those books is astounding. And, you know, one of the things that to go back to the very beginning of, of the original series, you know, the, the you know, one of the things that the book has really sort of, I think, laid, put 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 to rest is that Star Trek wasn't popular, you know, when it was on and, and how you oh, know, the mess of the ratings. Oh, yeah. That's the biggest single thing he did was, was finally break through and pay for it. He had to but to get the, the ratings out there and show that it wasn't right. That's what you're. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so in most, you know, in most cases, Star Trek was coming in second or, or, or maybe third, but it was a close third. And you're, you're talking back when there were only three networks, so it really didn't matter so much. And was number one. It's a lot of love. Yeah. And so the, th- the thing that I'm really getting at is sort of like, you know, Star Trek obviously has had a really long history. And, and these books are, um, you know, your books and, and Mark Cushman's books and all kinds, you know, every, you know, all of the I mean, there's been so many books written about Star Trek that. You know, it, it obviously has captured uh, uh, so many people's imagination over so many decades, and we're still talking about it. But at the same time, you go back to, you know, when it was on in the 60s and then early in the 70s when it was off the air, and it sort of had its fallow periods in the 70s, and then again, you know, sort of when the movies were on, and then now it's kind of in a fallow period again. Um, what what do you think really fundamentally it is about Star Trek that that has made it endure so long? <laughs> oh, that I know that's a big question, but yeah, and you're the first person to ever ask it. <laughs> no, oh, no, no. 
No, I mean, so to me, it was about, now we, I mean, I, I'm really interested, it's really fun to hear the last three, four, five, it's like when cosplay became a term, and I'm like, I'm sorry, we used to say going in costume, you know, uh, now we talk about world building, you know, I think the only other thing that really, I mean, Star Wars certainly, and maybe Firefly this way, but I just remember, thanks to my ninth, my, one of my other great memories, I've shared it too many times probably, but my ninth grade science teachers who got me to watch Star Trek. But, you know, and I was a rerun baby, so we were well into reruns by then, but butchering reruns on your local TV station and all that. But um, I just remember, you know, being vaguely aware of it. But when I actually st- sat down to start watching, you just, I mean, all the basics, of the, any, for any show to get noticed and be popular, any entertainment property, a movie or a TV show, but especially a TV show where you can go back and revisit, it's not a one-time experience. You know, you have to have had good actors with enjoyable characters, and then that was that was a good fit. You know, an actor fit a, a character glove, and then all the fingers seemed to interwork. <laughs> the two-handed glove, you know, seemed to work well together, and then you cared about about what those actors slash characters were doing, right? So that's kind of like well, well, duh, any popular show, and some shows, you know, wildly popular. You know, I Love Lucy, Mash whatever over the decades you know hold up and then of course it's like did it survive long enough to have enough numbers where the tv business model allowed it to perpetuate you know like those two i just mentioned for for two examples so um and for and then that's how you well there's how the new generation i mean now we're a lot easier now than ever before when we got to you know vhs tapes and the dvds blu-rays you could go back and see it, but now we have Netflix and we have all the streaming services and we've got, you know, a hundred years of media on demand and it's easier than ever before to get to anything, much less Star Trek. But the thing that everybody, I think, gets to people and it's also this thing that even fans love to make fun of. And I even, you know, I'll say, oh, the Canonistas did this or whatever, or the tech heads did this, but it's the... The belief in the the first right Marshak and Colbert. I remember when they talked about the believability factor. But the nth degree with Star Trek was okay. A it was science fiction, which was just cool, especially the younger you are. But it was and it was intelligent and all that. It wasn't you know lost in space. It wasn't you know, bug eyed monster or whatever. But not only was it intelligent in what they did in the moment, it was intelligent in the subtext. In that here's the here's the implied universe. Oh look, Earth didn't blow itself up, and so you have the optimistic future, the hopeful future that that reached out and grabbed people in the '60s in Vietnam and civil rights and you know the social upheaval and the assassinations and the nukes. And then about the time that all started, then the green you know um, the oil spill and Earth Day all kind of exploded in '69, '70, and all of that on top of it, and overpopulation, all the stuff they get in the middle of all that. Oh look, we did survive and get on. And that's just one of the, you know, one of the major flavors. It's like I, I, there was one time I came up with something really clever and said Star Trek is like the five C's of Star Trek, like cast, characters, concept, canon, and maybe something else. But uh, that's four. But it's I really enough. think that canon or continuity – oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to kick me off. Wait, wait. I really think that as much as we – love it and hate it and even make fun of it even among ourselves probably even more than the mundane world does um i think canon continuity to me because here's the thing i I kind of this kind of came to me a few years ago it's like that on a just an organic raw primal level you watch a few minutes of star trek you watch an hour or two of it and you know you want to well you want to climb inside that tv and go walk around in that world you want to be in that world and not only do you want to be there, they did such a great job on their ridiculously dinky little budget of, of envisioning it and then keeping it steady after they got it going. Bob Justman and Dorothy Fontana and Gene Kuhn and Matt Jeffries and you know, on down the line under Gene. Not only did they you – know, uh, Fred Phillips and um, uh, 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 what's his name? Irving Feinberg. I mean all of them. Not only did they create it, they kept it going and they – kept their hand you know they kept their thumb on the on the till whatever the tiller the rudder and you feel like not only do you want to jump through your tv screen and walk around in that world you know that if you walk down this corridor and turn left it may be something you never saw in an episode but you know what it looked like 
You know, you can see it in your mind's eye or you can, you never got to go to star bases. You never got to go to Teller Prime or Andor or whatever, but you have this idea that it, you either know what it looks like or you can't wait to see. And maybe someday they'll reward you and let you know, like you got to see what Vulcan looked like kind of, and we finally got to see what Kronos looked like in next generation. So it's, it's all the basics. You have to have, you know, good writing and, and the morality plays and all that feed into what the subtext is that's there, whether they state it or not. And eventually you do hear them state it. No, money doesn't exist. We've transcended money because we have replicator technology. And if you can create gold, what's the point, you know, kind of a thing. And now what does that mean for society? And is that, is that laughably uh, undoable? Or does that mean, hold on, we just need to like jump five different paradigms before we can understand it? You know, so so you got the mind busting stuff. You got all of those. Part of it is the strength of the mix. But I think if it had, if it had just been another well written, pretty looking show with cool actors, it, you know, it would it would go around for a while, and then fade. But the mix of the intelligence of the audience through you know the hopeful atmosphere, hopeful future that we all talk about always. But then the all respecting the audience to the point of respecting the continuity and yes, the canon. And being anal about it at times, um, I think that was I think that was the one two thing that's because I, I somewhere I had a conference just the other day where somebody was talking about uh, something happened and they were talking to two eighteen year old kids and they had just found the next generation they had found the original series even and um, and were like now died in the wool fans and somebody was talking about isn't it amazing the biggest thing about the fiftieth anniversary may be the fact and yeah we've had you know remastered shows and we've had remastered. Um, Blu-ray, you know, visual effects from the original series, if that helps. But the fact that young people or people of any age, if they're new to it, are still finding the original series, much less all the newer, you know, the ones that are a little more sophisticatedly produced, um, that they're still falling in love with it, and they're still finding meaning, and they're still finding attraction. And, and yeah, NBC finally canceled them, not because of ratings, because they just got tired of banging heads with, with Gene. But it's like, what a wonderful sacrifice, <laughs> you know? It's like the thing, you know. It's not like you know, Gene sacrificed himself for our sins or something. I don't mean I'm saying that, but I mean it's like the battles that they all fought and the ridiculous, you know, banging their head against the wall kind of situations. That some of the stories, you know, are cute stories, but they're there. But that's the kind of thing they had to do in their own little limited, small budget way in the '60s. That this crazy little subversive idea got out that keeps reinventing and, and reliving and hopefully being in good hands of handlers over the years and all the different, you know, the people who are had the keys, who are, had the power to hire the people who work with them and just under them. Um, and they've all managed to, you know, to hit the mark. And, and if it ever does go off, you know, people debate the JJ movies. If they ever do go off, then there's a huge debate about it because people care and maybe, the other iterations will do something different, but at the same time, you can't deny how many, you know, thousands and thousands and maybe millions of new fans the bad robot movies have bought. So, and, yeah. and even Star Trek. Thing. So, I'm sorry, my my, I have a reputation for going long winded on stuff, but no, you're fine. But that's you know, it's just if you want to go deep on Trek, you can, and that's see, I don't, I can sit back and I can see how much stuff Star Wars sells to people and the kids want the action figures and all that. And I know there are people who are deep into the force and they're mad about the mitochondrians or whatever, taking some of the spiritualism away or whatever. But I, I get it that there are people who are totally immersed in Star Wars, but I just don't see, you know, you talk about, you talk about the MMUs as a game. And so much of, you know, and all the debate on Star Wars about their expanded universe, and so much of that was trading cards and book references where, and, you know, where Star Trek was just the opposite. And the franchise was, you know, film canon is primary and then everything else is a spectrum under that. And that's been the, the greatest thing for Star Trek. I mean, the Star Trek online, you know, massive multiplayer can go on for ages and just be, and they're, they're set 50 years past the last TV episodes and they've got, so they've got history, much less corners of the known Trek galaxy or the unknown Trek galaxy to go play with. And that's what I mean about that's the hours piling up, you know, over the years of over 50 years, but still that's what I mean about the respect that's handled with and no one's ripping off fans and the audience. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's once you've got intelligent people running licensing, 
in the 90s for Paramount and now CBS, that's been another boom. So I, I know I'm going in circles here, but it's just that's why on one hand, that's why it still keeps attracting people. On the other hand, it goes right back to the simplest thing. It's the Roddenberry vision. And and, and I was wor- worried a little bit about things getting so cushy in the 90s that maybe Star Trek's you know, appeal would be lost on people and it would all be flash and, and glitz. But then um, after 9-11 and then after the crash in 08 and just a newer generation, maybe the millennials and, uh, and the next gens being more more global and maybe that's what the internet and the digital world has done is make us aware of the Syrian refugees crossing Europe and make us aware of the giant plastic oil you know, slick in the Pacific and whatever the newest species that's dying or whatever the newest, you know, uh, subjugation or, you know, sub- injustice going on in the world, we're all instantly aware of it even faster and quicker. And, and maybe that's made people aware that a lot of those lessons, not just from next gen or enterprise, but, you know, the original series still gets home with people. So there's, there's a blow for the morality plays and the theme plays. Well, I think I think that that you know that's a couple of good good things there though because you know number one I think that you know just just looking at this from the experience of of, of doing Trek about with with Richard who who is not here um, but but I'll speak for him because you know I, I I know him well enough that that you know in this experiment and, and sort of starting with with the original series and saying okay can can somebody who's never really watched Star Trek before uh, uh, actually get something out of it now and and I think that the answer to the original series for him was yes and no you know and I think that that he did get some stuff out of it but um, I don't know that he would say that he was a fan of the original series or, or sort of uh, uh, had turned into a Trekkie by that point and I think the Next Generation really did turn him around and that was the show that you know, really made him appreciate Star Trek. And now as, as we're moving into deep space nine, you know, he's, he's really getting into it. And was he he a weekly watcher at the time or was we talking about just recently? No, he had, he had never watched Star Trek before. So, so, you know, the, the whole idea of, of, of Trek about was, you know, again, you know, these kind of podcasts where, you know, people uh, uh, go through series and talk about them. We're, we're always done. And and there's a lot of good ones. You know, there's mission log for Star Trek, for example. Um, But the idea for this show was really, let's take a non-Trekkie and let's see if they get something out of it. Um, And, you know, that was kind of like, you know, and that was kind of my, my idea for it too, was like my, my little contribution to, to Star Trek fandom and saying, you know, um, let, let's, let's, get new people, you know, watching the show, you know, through the podcast. And I know that a couple of people, um, or more than a couple of people, uh, uh, have, you know, started watching Star Trek because of the podcast, which is really great for, for me. Um, but, but, you know, it really gets that, that, that thing you were talking about. They'll pick a, they're, they're working through one of the shows, one of the series, you know? Yeah. There's, um, there's first time Trekker and there's, yeah. But, you know, it, it really gets the fact that, um, like you said, there's that, that, world building aspect of it and there's all these little corners of the universe and it feels very alive and it feels very with it um but then you know you sort of get i think you you intimated a little bit about star trek in the 90s and i i do want to to kind of touch on that a little bit because you were you know obviously you know very involved in the 90s i mean you've been involved you know for many years but well it was that was the, that was the peak next gen you know the froth and then ds9 and voyager and yeah there was just more i was turning down you know, we were doing the experience and we had world tours and science tours and I had the communicator magazine and fact files and there was just more, so much Star Trek going on to set grace over and to keep up with and to keep straight in your own head or help the world keep straight. So, yeah. And I, I know that there's a lot of opinions about that was too much Star Trek and there was franchise fatigue and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, whether or not that's true or not, you know, I kind of lean on the idea that they're lean on the, the opinion that that's not necessarily true. Um, I always said that the end game there was more about producer fatigue, not franchise fatigue. Because that yeah. was the fan films were starting to explode. The end of Enterprise, that was when all the fan films were exploding. So anyway. Yeah, I, I would actually agree with that. But, but you know, what I'm getting at is, is, is looking at where Star Trek has gone over the past, you know, 10 years, ever since the end of Enterprise. Because Enterprise, you know, was canceled 10 years ago, uh, uh, a few few months ago, actually. About time, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, you look at where Star Trek is now and you say, okay, well, there's a lot of new fans coming into the franchise uh, through the the J.J. Abrams movies or the Bad Robot movies. Um, But Star Trek seems to still be kind of, you know, kind of in a fallow period for for want of a better term. And, you know, there's a lot of people that say the Star Trek lives better on TV than anywhere else. That doesn't really seem to be happening, you know, whether it's 
CBS not being interested, whether it's money, you know, who knows? I, I tend to think that in, in, a, in a media landscape where Game of Thrones can cost $6 million an episode to make, they could make a Star Trek TV show for a reasonable budget and, and still make a profit. But, you know, uh, where what's your take on that? I mean, where I know you've talked about this in the past, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, especially coming out of, of Vegas Con last month and um, you know, now we're moving into the 50th anniversary and there's going to be a lot of talk about where Star Trek is and where it's going. You know, where, where do you see it and where do you th- think, think it's going? Well, it's, yeah, for one thing, Star Trek was, and I said this in 06, that's the best thing about starting my blog about, my Trekland blog about 08, because some of the things I'd said over the years, including, gee, why don't you do a prequel show and show humanity, you know, learning all these things. Uh, I was saying that like at the end of Next Gen when I saw how the writers were trouble writing and I wish I'd written that down in 92 because that's exactly what Enterprise was and then I, you know I always agree with the execution but the idea was just fine but in 06, 07 when people were so down and the mainstream media was saying you know it was stupid when Enterprise was canceled well Star Trek's dead well no it's not dead because it's this billion dollar franchise that when Hollywood is scraping up other dead things you know of lesser when they're trying to redo a Bewitched movie <laughs> trying to redo a Killigan's Island movie Things that are like, you know, they're fondly remembered, but it's like, really? And you're going to, and Star Trek is quote unquote dead? I don't think so. It's all going to, you know, at the time I said, you're either going to have, uh, it may sit for 10 or 15 or 20 years, but probably what will happen was, you know, the, the pendulum swings much faster than anybody ever thinks about. And somebody's going to walk in who is either, uh, a, you know, a, a total fanboy or fangirl who now is a quality person with clout and and track record to jump on it or they may not be so interested in themselves but they have a ton of clout and they will get people around them hopefully to do it hopefully the right way but they're just their clout one way or the other will move you know move that happening and that's what that's what basically happened so you know with jj and bad robot coming in just a year later and saying okay well not, not so much to do a trek movie but i'm going to do here's my deal and one of the movies in my whatever, 10, 20 movie deal is going to be at least a Star Trek. But we'll sign everybody for three pictures, so with a fourth option. Because just in case, because of course, if I'm doing it, and if we're doing it right, it'll be the biggest thing since sliced bread. You know, sliced andorian bread. So so that's where that happened. And that's that's basically what happened. But I love it, the fact that I was, I was saying that a couple <laughs> of times that happened. But, which still shocked a lot of people. And in, But at the time... I was trying to say, and even, you know, and then we were the drip, drip, drip news of how a movie, I mean, we'd had kids, we'd had people grown up with Star Trek, modern fan, TV fan, since the 80s and 90s, and weekly shows, sometimes even two shows at a time. And that was the way everybody experienced Star Trek, and, and week to week, and hearing the news and the rumors, but it was pretty much soon out there. And then people doing movies were the people who did the TV shows. And the family feel was great. The continuity is great. And sometimes that was a critique. Oh, it's too inbred. It's too in-house. And, and that could be a fair thing. But that's what it was. And I instantly knew when I saw who the cast was, this is not setting up a TV series. These are movie people. They're going to want to do movies every couple of years. None of these people are going to do a series. They might do a Bad Robot might do a series, but it won't be with these people. They'll do something else. And it turns out they had no, apparently no interest. Because I can't believe after the, heat of the first one and all that hoo-ha over it that they didn't have the clout then to walk in and say, hey, let's do a, they, let's do a series. But my point was, just knowing it was going to be a movie, I was trying to say, guys, the whole world is going gaga over this, and that's great for attention for a dead franchise two years ago, but it's only a movie. You'll wake up the next day from your drunk hangover and go, oh, we have to wait three more years for two more hours? Because that's not what modern Star Trek had been about. Now you're going back to the 70s and the 80s and going, geez, can we, you know, everything revolved around a movie every, at least every two years until Next Gen, you know, spoiled everybody with, a, oh my God, an hour every week. And I was trying to say that and some people took it as like poo-pooing the, you know, JJ's movie or having a movie. And I was like, no, no, I, it could be a hit or it could be a miss. Either way, it's still just a movie versus a TV show. And, Again, the last, especially since Into Darkness, people have kind of got it. And I totally agree. Star Trek was created as a TV series. Movies were always a reward for the fans and a reward for a cast for a you know, job well done, at least in the accountant's eyes. So, you know, we never got Voyager DS9 movies. They, they probably could have done TV movies if we'd had the landscape now with Netflix 
and uh, you know, or, or premium channel formats. Maybe in '99 and 2001, they might have tried to do that, but um, we didn't. So that's the way it is now. But but that is the landscape now. And you had that um, you know big put in the stupid idiot blogger that misquoted me that say yes, Netflix is doing a Star Trek series, which. I was talking about how it could be and how there had been like talks, you know, mentions back and forth. But that happens all the time on different levels with all kinds of you know, channels and things going on. People aren't stupid. Just like people make pitches for a new series and, and they're in somebody's desk drawer somewhere so that it'll never happen, it'll never happen, it'll never happen until it does. It's kind of like, you know, you, you, you leave your resume somewhere, but there's, they're not hiring. So there's a drawer full of resumes, and at some point, bang, they're hiring, and they're going to go grab those resumes. I'm being very dead tree organic analog here, but <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. There'll be a pile they'll go to when it's when everything suddenly jumps into place. And and I know that CBS is not a monolith, just like Paramount never was. And there are tons of people within the CBS and the different arms who go, I can't believe we're going to have a 50th anniversary of our print of our property. And not announce a new series. I mean, the movie is going to happen, supposedly. But to not have it be a series series and have, like, the quantum surprise cool thing happen. Or something to do. And, and there'll be things happening that'll that'll get down that road of being really special. But there are a lot of people that say this is going to be insane if we don't at least announce that we're going to do a series within a year or something. So I don't know where all that's going to fall down. I, I, yeah. I'm yeah, I think uh, Michael Michael Dorn has said series. Yeah, yeah, Michael's in the middle of all that, and Frakes, and a lot of the old guys, and a lot of you know Brian Fuller and Seth MacFarlane, and a lot of people have been out there throwing throwing it out. But yeah, yeah. Well, Michael Michael Dorn said it at at Vegas Con, you know, this year that he thinks that you know whether or not you know he he is. He's pitched a, a Captain Wharf TV show to, to CBS uh, two or three times at this point. I'm not sure exactly how many times he's he's pitched it, uh, and he said on stage that he thinks that the plan is to announce a new Star Trek series next year in time for the 50th anniversary. Is that true? Who knows? But. You know, it it there seems to be more talk about it than ever before, and I think you're right. At the same time, the people that say that it's never going to happen again because the TV landscape has changed too much, uh, never say never. Basically, I mean, CBS is not interested in doing a show until they're interested in doing a show. And you know, the fan films have pushed a lot of that. It showed how what you can do on a shoestring, and it showed um, it it showed that. Fandom, and this is what social media has done, and I noticed this at like Vegas Trek as a, as a you know, as a in, in Las Vegas, the big creation show. Just as a snapshot, four, five, six years ago, I started calling it the Comic-Conification through the cosplay, and then within a year or two through the panels, the sophistication of, of Trek and the fandom and the, the professional, you know, the business side and the fandom interfacing, and this kind of tr- three-way... Nobody wants the J.J., the Bad Robot movies to fail because that would be horrible. Then people would say, see, the franchise is tired and worn out. Nobody ever wanted them to fail. It may not have been the choices I'd made, and I think sometimes people who are coming to it knew they're daunted. You know, like, oh, my God, 737 hours of of prime canon. That's such a rock around your neck as a writer. How would you ever compete or do something fresh and new? Well, the novelists, all my friends that are writing books, you know, Kevin and Dayton and David Mack and Keith and and all those guys – and gals, um, they seem to find perfectly fine ways to keep weaving, you know, and, and maybe you might think those were kind of insider, but I would sure take them as a starting point anytime if you if you think it can't be done. Yeah. So, so um, I, I just noticed that the fandom, partly because of social, I mean, the first year I saw on Facebook, after a couple of years of Facebook being out there in the public absorbing that, including Trek fandom, the first year I saw people ahead of time for Vegas, organizing a bowling tournament at the Gold Coast across the streets bowling tournament, bowling alley. I was like, okay, here it goes. We now, you know, not to throw the old, you know, social buzzwords around, but we now are living in the era of empowered fandom and people doing their, just like everything else, just like fan films, you know, is the predecessor to, to the original fanzines as far as taking it and making it your own, you know, fan ownership, which has always been there. And Star Trek kind of pioneered that. Uh, but but here's fans doing their own thing and even piggybacking and attaching, not 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 uh, in an intrusive way or something that's going to get them in, you know, in trouble or intrude on 
the deal, but doing their own stuff and adding on and most of all, not being sheep. And so much of what that's happened, I think that's been, it shows the health of the franchise. It's sure not, you know, it sure isn't dead. It's sure not over here atrophying somewhere. And it's sad that like the, like TNG didn't wind up selling enough of the Blu-rays supposedly so far for right now to get Voyager and PS9, you know, into Blu-rays, the, at least some percentage of what was done for TNG in the original series. I mean, that's kind of a sad thing, but then that's also a spectrum thing too. Maybe we'll have that eventually. But for the most part, um, nothing has happened to show Star Trek slowing down, even on all the, you know, the, the beam counters and business, you know, barometers. So yeah, I, I, Star Trek was made for TV. It needs to be a, a show cranking out a new hour with new characters, new adventures, making comments about what's going on today with enough breathing room to be able to show, like from the 80s to the 60s, had the culture of TV and the and surrounding society had changed enough to make it look different so they could say, oh, we're 80 years in the future. Well, whatever we do here, whether we go back, you know, in some mid, between Kirk and Picard or between Archer and Kirk or we go into the future, quote-unquote, um, whatever we do, there's enough just natural time between, you know, 10 years in TV production and what's doable with tech um, and, and the, the lens we look through just socially that, that there's enough of a breathing gap there to have it feel different so that if they want to play with the time, they can, they can do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but it's got to happen. It's bound to happen. Star Trek is not – I always laugh when they compare it to – Star Wars movies, Star Wars is the movies aside from you know, the animates, and, and that's about to change, and that'll be interesting to watch out. But basically, Star Wars is a movie property. James Bond is a movie property. Harry Potter is a movie property. And um, Fireflies, but the only other thing I can think of, and, and of course Doctor Who is a TV property, but it's gone through so many iterations and it was held from us and different. But um, Star Trek is made to be a TV property with rewards as a, as a, as a bonus. And we should get back to creating those stories and the technology and the gee whiz and the commentary. Um, it, you know, it may be a 10-episode season on a premium channel or, or whatever, but um, it needs to be episodic again. And well, I think it's with a new platform and a new crew and a new era, you know. I know you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation about, you know, the Marvel expanded universe and all these movies that are coming out. And Marvel ha- famously has this, you know, they announce their roadmap for movies, you know, three years out or five years out or 17 years out or whatever they're doing. Um, and, and you know, so many, that's kind of where uh, these kind of franchises are going now. They're, they're kind of roadmapping this out. Star Trek was a cinematic universe, not on that scale, but Star Trek was a cinematic universe before we even had the damn buzz phrase, right? That's what having next gen and Voyager and having those movies every two years, first con- it didn't last very long, but when you brought Picardo in as the EMH on the E that's cinematic univising. It was on a small baby step, but anyway, it's like, well, yeah, we're away from all that now. And we're in a, you know, the fallow time means that. So that's why it's frustrating to, to watch everybody else take it to a factor of 10 or a hundred, what Trek was actually doing between TV and movies. You know, in the nineties. But yeah, and I think that's I think that's a really good point because you know, people are always saying, Where's Star Trek in this? Where's Star Trek in this? Marvel's doing this, DC's getting into it, you know, whatever is getting into this, and, and Star Trek is cons- conspicuously absent now. And I think that that's a really good point that Star Trek, you know, almost was the 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 you know progenitor of all this stuff. <laughs> yes, once again. Once again. Yeah. Before before, you know memory alpha existed online before Wikipedia became such a thing and Wikia became such a thing and everybody had their own wiki. And before Memory Alpha was online, B. Joe Trimble invented her concordance and I did my TNG's concordance that got me the companion card. We were inventing that stuff because it's what we needed and demand. There's that old blooper because the public wants it. <laughs> but it's like it's what we needed and we invented it for ourselves and if we had to do it typing on paper – you know, and copying it off and different whatevers, we did. And then, of course, it transcended. You know, the, the Star Trek Well Committee existed before there was any kind of any online hub. But people needed that kind of, even if we had to do it with, you know, say, you know stamp self-addressed envelopes and snail mail and flyers and booklets and pamphlets and got, you know, things. It existed because people demanded it and wanted it and needed those things filled, damn it. And then finally, okay, well, fine, invent a computer and invent personal computers and the, the internet 
and social media, and that'll make it all go faster. But all that stuff conceptually existed before it was you know, like as easy as it is to be now. So I, it's yeah, yeah. Star Trek led the way on so much. Was the first thing that made people, you know, I, it's not even so much passionate, but just like they could not resist being hooked into this, and they had to have more because it was such a, you know, it's such a resting idea. Seize your brain and take you there in the best way. And yeah, so it's no surprise now. It's just that you know the old, the old ah these young fans they can everybody can carry the whole everything around in their phone in their back pocket now you know kind of thing. But but power to it. And yeah, you know, it's when those eighteen year olds can watch an original series and not. I mean, some people are still put off by some of the outward trappings if that's all they've seen. But um, it's it's still and not and not just because of the JJ movies again the. The Netflix streaming and the Blu-rays, the promotion around those, and just the access. And people – I've had people come up to me at cons and say, I am not a fan, a new fan because of J.J. I just had my friends finally beat it into me or I just stumble across it on Netflix or – you know, I mean there are people that still find it new not just because of J.J. So it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, Larry, I could, I could talk about Star Trek all day and I could talk to you about Star Trek all day, but – um, I think we should should wrap it up. I um, uh, just before we go, uh, if you want to give the the website for for Portal Forty Seven again or your website again, you know where can people find you and and, and more about yeah. you? Well, uh, at Larry Dimitrek on Twitter. Although Twitter, you'll also get my Sooners football and and politics and uh, my Will Rogers <laughs> fandom devotion. Hopefully, but it's 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 more than half Star Trek. Uh, but tre- uh, Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook is my Trek page. But I also have a Facebook for The Con of Wrath, which is my documentary that we're trying to wrap up this year, which is about the first huge real-life fan mega event that did not quite go according to the way it was planned back in 1982. Um, so that's com or uh, The Con of Wrath Facebook. And uh, my Trekland trunk is where I've a lot of my archival stuff after I photograph it or scan it. Uh, I'm letting it get out. And there are auctions, but eBay, and then we have a local thing on Sunday. But if you go to um, the Trekland trunk on Facebook and you're on a list, it's very low key. I don't like to run around being used car slimy salesman about this stuff. It's just out there. And if it's your thing, then cool, you're there. Um, but yeah, the hub of everything is LarryNemichek.com, my website. And Portal 47, um, and, and you can find out about Geek Nation Tours. We mentioned our 50th, our L.A. to Vegas, and our San Fran Starfleet Tours next year before the Vegas Con and Enterprise in Space. There's you know, links and all that stuff all there. But Portal 47's uh, URL is going to be portal47.net, and there's a Portal 47 Facebook. And I am just getting it off the ground, and I hope as many people jump on board with me as, as can because I'm just – Really excited, and, I'm, and it's going to be evolving. And I hope it's just, um, you know, without trying to overkill it, I just, it's just, uh, I, I hope it's going to be a combination of ways I can get stuff to people faster than, you know, books and <laughs> books and podcasts and and uh, remastered audio and all that stuff allows us to do, and just and just have a real, uh, you know, a lot of experiences, some of which will be live, and um, you know, are, are live in the moment, and. Um, and we'll see where it goes. But thanks for having me on and catching up on all this stuff and some really interesting discussion there on some of those. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for joining me. And uh, let's uh, continue this conversation next year at VegasCon. Yeah, definitely.